Well, let's, uh, let's get into the Word today. Uh, I, I apologize, uh, I suppose, as apologies in order. This is not a uh, patriotic message um, or a message. It's not Independence Day, July 4th message, which I usually do. And uh, not that I don't have a lot to think of, uh, not that I don't have a lot on my heart about our country, and not that I, um, I'm, I am patriotic, and I, uh, I, I have many, many positive thoughts about the American Revolution, many positive thoughts about the Declaration of Independence, and many positive thoughts about the Constitution of the United States. Uh, I, I really don't share the view of those who look at uh, our, all of our past with a, with a negative or, um, or, or uh, less than positive view. I think, uh, I think our founding fathers, boy, they got a bunch of stuff right. And um, I really uh, I have great admiration for them. I do think we were, maybe, we're, maybe we weren't ever the Christian nation that some people imagine we were. But we certainly are a nation, our nation, that our foundation is the Judeo-Christian ethics, the Judeo-Christian principles. And um, so I, I would love to talk about that. And I, I, I hope to, uh, I'm hoping in July that I can uh, uh, talk about the country. I, we have uh, uh, um, Michael King with the Masters Family Institute, I believe is going to be on the 23rd. We're, not, we're still working on the day of July. So, you know, they do a lot in terms of religious liberty and uh, 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 they, they share some of the concerns that I have about some of the directions that we are going. And uh, so I, I, if I can, I'm going to try to work in a message that kind of sets that up. But anyway, last Sunday there was just such a response to talking about going to the presence of the Lord. And I think when people are troubled, as some, uh, some are right now, and when people are questioning a direction of a nation, there's kind of two ways to go. You can talk about the nation, and you can talk about that, and uh, we all know that we, we're not close to the levers of power, so we really have very limited ability to change in, in any direct way, I should say. But um, th- there's another strategy. There's another strategy for God's people, and I believe it's a primary strategy, and that is God's people need to run for God, N- not, not hiding, not at all. And I'm talking about escapism and going to hide from the world, and we're going to become, um, uh, well, you know, uh, not, not to criticize the Amish, but we're not going to become Amish and, and unplug from everything that's of the world, and we're going to go to work and go to school and live in a community, and, and we're going to mix and rub shoulders with everybody who's uh, at all kinds of places in culturally and ethically and lifestyle-wise. God wants, I believe God wants us to be in the world, though we're not of it. And so, yes, but so there's another, this strategy of running to God is, is not a, a strategy of, of, of playing defense. And, and it's not a strategy of hiding from the culture and the world. We're just going to get locking ourselves in with God. But it, but it, is, a, it is a strategy for, re, for staying in a place of renewal. Stay in a place of renewal. For, for, uh, you're plugging into the power from another world. You're plugging in the power. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. So pursuing the presence of God is when you and I 
uh, understand, like, like the, those people in the book of Daniel, Daniel is just an a, a important book to look at when you feel you're in the minority of opinion, maybe on things. It's a great book to look at because you see those people who contributed to that culture and contributed to that society, who worked even within that government, but yet they had a they had a they had a life that was connected to the presence of God that gave them these powerful experiences. In fact, where do we go as parents want to tell our children Bible stories? I'll bet the book of Daniel is probably your favorite book to find Bible stories for your children. And you ever stop to consider the world that those people were living in? Daniel, the, the three Hebrew men, and uh, they were living, and, the, and, and the, the people of Israel, they were living in a totally pagan culture. They were living in a culture they did not have complete religious freedom. And, and, and the, you know, the, Daniel gets, Daniel gets uh, given the death sentence for having private prayer. So, I know all of you think it's, it's worse than it's ever been. Well, wait a minute. Daniel got put in, he got, he got the death sentence for having private prayer in his own room. So when you think it couldn't get any worse, it's not that bad yet in the, in, in the West. It's not that bad that you're going to get the death sentence for going in your room today and having a private prayer time. Now, that's not good that he had to do that, but nevertheless. So, it did not change Daniel's pursuit of the presence of God. And Daniel had these amazing experiences with God in the midst of a culture where some of you are so preoccupied with the culture and so preoccupied with what's wrong with them, where are we going, what's happening, that you've forgotten that you're supposed to have a relationship with God, that you're supposed to be pursuing God. You're supposed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And uh, that's rise for the benediction. Uh, now you got to get your. You gave in the offering, so you got to get your money's worth. The shorter I'm going to talk about today, it's going to be a continuation of that last Sunday. I'm going to talk about how to enjoy God's presence more. The shorter Westminster Catechism begins with the question, "What is the chief end of man?" The answer is, the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. Now, that's, a, that's summarized in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, with a twist. And the twist is that God is not only inviting us to enjoy Him forever, He is also enjoying us forever. He's not only asking us to praise Him, God is praising us. God is not only asking us to glorify Him, He is glorifying us. And some of you here today, you really need, you really need to shut off some of the stuff you're reading for a while, some of the videos you're watching, and I'm, I'm not saying it's wrong to research these things, I research it all the time. You need to shut it off for a while and get back to having an intimate relationship with God. So God is inviting us to enter this experience of His delightful and joyful presence on a regular basis, but I contend we, we must be willing to press in to His presence. I will contend that to be in relationship with him legally and foundationally, uh, but, but in a broken relationship with him experientially and emotionally is not helpful. So, so some of us can be legally, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. 
So legally, foundationally, we're in a right relationship with God. But emotionally and experientially, we're in a broken relationship with God because we're not experiencing Him. Before we go any farther, let's look at our text. For the Lord your God is living among you. He is mighty. He's a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With His love, He will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. Now, what's really interesting about this verse is if you read all the other verses in the other chapters of Zephaniah. The book of Zephaniah was written during the reign of King, of King, uh, reign of King Josiah. Uh, it was uh, written around 7th century BC, B.C. Zephaniah's prophecies were delivered against the backdrop of a society that was full of corruption, full of sin. The sins include idolatry and worshiping false idols, disregard for the Lord and all His commands, Practicing what, they, what people call syncretism, and that is, in other words, they, they, they mixed their, their religion, they mixed their uh, uh, theistic Jewish religion, they mixed it with pagan religion, right? And also, there was, uh, the, if you look through Zephaniah, you look over in chapter 3, verse 1 through 3, he talks about the oppression and mistreatment of the poor and the needy. They also were engaging in violence and deceit. That's what the book is all about. It's all about they were full of pride and arrogance. And you look in chapter 3, verse 11. Chapter 3, verse 3, there was corruption among the officials and the leaders. Chapter 1, verse 12, there was complacency and a total lack of repentance. So the primary purpose of Zephaniah was to proclaim a message of judgment and impending doom upon Judah. It was written to address the moral and spiritual decline of Judah and to warn the people of God about this impending judgment. The book of Zephaniah was packed with encouraging verses like the following. I will sweep away everything. (laughs) The Lord speaking from the face of the earth. I will sweep away people and animals alike. I will sweep away the birds of the sky. And God is saying, I'm going to come down and judge you people. And this fish in the sea, I'll reduce the wicked to heaps of rubble. I will wipe humanity from the face of the earth, says the Lord. I will crush Judah and Jerusalem with my fist and destroy every last trace of their bell worship. I will put an end to their idolatrous priests so that even the memory of them will disappear. Are you encouraged yet? <laughs> and, 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 and closer, even closer to our text that we read a while ago in, in chapter 3, Therefore be patient, says the Lord. Soon I will stand and accuse these evil nations. For I have decided to gather the kingdoms of the earth and pour out all my fiercest anger and fury on them. And and the earth will be devoured by the fire of my jealousy. The message from God was very clear. And you can see this throughout history, biblical and otherwise, that in the midst of a world gone mad and the worst examples of human behavior and a clear word from God, He is promising judgment on humanity Wickedness, on humanity's wickedness. And in the midst of it, God is actually maintaining a joyful presence over his chosen. There's another verse, there's a verse in Psalms that says, The Lord looked down on the wicked. It says, The Lord will look down and laugh. So God is maintaining a joyful promise. Even the promise of judgment is actually a hopeful sign, not a dreadful sign. Because it's God saying to his people, all the injustice, 
all the corruption that you see, I'm going to do something about it. Because I love you, and I love the world, and I love the earth that I created. So we see it's a healthy sign, not a dreadful sign. And we see a healthy and normal Christian life will be marked by times of spiritual manifestation and overwhelming experiences of God's divine presence in the midst of all kinds of dysfunction. In the midst of all kinds of sin. In the midst of all kinds of corruption. One clear New Testament example is Acts chapter 4. When Peter and John were in the community preaching Christ. And the church had grown to 5,000 believers. So the, the community was feeling a little threatened by these people that were growing. The authorities were getting nervous. So they arrested Peter and John. And only released them because they feared a riot. So Peter and John, they've been arrested for just talking about Jesus. And they met with the Jerusalem congregation in a prayer meeting in Acts chapter 4, verse 31. And the Bible says there, after this prayer, the meeting place shook. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? I believe there's virtue in just talking about what's going wrong with the world. And the Bible certainly does a lot of that. However, God's people aren't going to be energized. We're not going to be energized by an accurate analysis of the world around us. We're, we're going to be empowered only by the overwhelming presence of the God who delights in us, loves to be with us, and wants us to feel the intense enjoyment of His presence. Think about that for a minute. Some of you think that God doesn't want you to enjoy Him. God doesn't want you to relax and have fun in His presence. Because there's so much wrong with the world. You should only be grieving. Or you should be out there doing something about it for goodness sake. You should be an activist. I'm not saying it's wrong to be an activist by the way. But God plans and has dictated and called you to his presence. In the midst of a world gone wrong. Amen. The John Piper said, the enjoyment of God is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. So the context of this sermon today centers around those of us who are serving God with faithful presence, even while we live in a world that is in deep rebellion against our Creator. And it's always been in deep rebellion against our Creator, as we've shown. The 7 BC, it was just about as bad as it is now, right? <laughs> Your faith is... The people I'm talking to in this room, your faith is, is robust. Your theology is reasonably sound. But you struggle to have joy. You struggle to have an experience of God's presence. You struggle to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to suggest four things that will increase your joy and the presence of God in your life. Number one, stop waiting on the world to change. Romans 12, 12. Do not be conformed to this world, the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. James 4, 8. Come near to God, he will come near to you. It can't be coincidental that in the book of Zephaniah that God in the midst of describing an idolatrous nation, a world gone mad, destined for judgment, that he reminds everyone who would listen, I haven't changed. I delight in you. I love you. I want to spend time with you. Welcome to my world. That's what God is saying to us this morning. Welcome to my world. Take a break. Come into my presence. It's kind of like um, I, 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 I admire people 
I admire people who, who, who do things like sailboats and fly airplanes. And, and I, I think I was always a little too... Because I get lost in Boston. <laughs> think what I could do in a sailboat in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. And I often talk to Steve Johnson back there. You know, just, uh, I just admire the way he can get in his, a little plane and fly from Austin, Texas to Boston. As it goes, I, I just, man, the fuel got low. I would like, I would never find an airport. I just, I just, so I admire people who can fly, fly planes and, and sailboats and that sort of thing. And so I don't know much about sailing, but uh, I know that one of, the, one of the problems of sailing is contrary winds. You have to deal with contrary winds. And they have strategies, and they use names like tacking. Tacking involves changing the direction of the boat in a zigzag pattern. By sailing at an angle, the wind, the sailboat, can use the wind's force that's actually contrary. It can use it to propel you toward your destination. And they have another term called jibbing. It's another technique that when the wind is coming from behind at an angle, it involves turning the stern of the boat through the wind so that the sails switch sides. And this maneuver allows the boat to change its course, continue toward its destination. We're in a moment in time when spiritually you've got to learn to do some tacking and jibbing. See, that's new spiritual language for you. You doom scrollers need to hear this. You know, you know what a doom scroller is. You, you, you scroll through YouTube and you scroll through Instagram and you scroll through uh, um, um, Twitter looking for all the doom stories. All the, all the horrible things that are happening in the world. All the, all the Marxist uh, conspiracies and and whatever, wokeism, whatever, you, you, you know, you're just scrolling through. I, I do some doom scrolling, so I, I know about it, you know. So uh, you doom scrollers need to hear this because you need to take a break from doom scrolling. You need to take a break. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. I think people, you know, people need to know what's going on. And, and that can be helpful. That can be helpful. Some of you know how to pray. You know how to, you, you know, the, the, Paul, Paul, and Jesus, they all dealt with false philosophies. They all dealt with false doctrine. If, if they didn't have any knowledge of them, <laughs> how, could Paul, how could Paul deal with Gnosticism, which he did, if he didn't know anything about it? So you can tell that he, in fact, you can tell he knew more about it than he wrote. He would give you three verses on uh, something like Gnostic, Gnosticism is secret knowledge. And there, there's Gnosticism alive and well right now in, in, in Western civilization. Of people who have secret knowledge, and so he he would he would spend three verses on Gnosticism, but then he would spend three chapters on the power of Jesus, the superiority of Christ, and Christ sitting at the right hand of God, and the hope of the gospel. That's what Paul would do, because because he he wasn't just a doom scroller. Everyone who is not a doom scroller, you may even hate doom scrollers, but you feel the weight of the world. You don't even know why you feel tense. You don't even know why you you go to you go to Walmart and you go to Target and everybody, everybody, doesn't everybody seem a little tense right now? Everybody just seems a little kind of a vacant stare on their face. They're like, what, some, what's happening? We don't know what's happening in the world. <laughs> Every one of you are trying to lead in the church, whether you realize it or not, 
you're being drained of your energy by constantly. Now, I want you leaders to hear me right now. You that are leading in the church. You lead ushers or hospitality or youth or whatever you lead. Everybody who's trying to lead in the church, whether you realize it or not, you're constantly being drained of your energy by constantly trying to organize people who are more of the kingdom of the world than they are the kingdom of God. You're constantly trying to organize them and work with them and you love them and you care for them because you're, you've been asked to do what's the most difficult task, I believe, in all the world, which is, which is to which is to organize people that are totally volunteers. Do not have to be there. And you have to motivate them. How many of you would go to work tomorrow if you didn't get paid? <laughs> you wouldn't go to work, would you? So have a little mercy on me. <laughs> Trying to get you to work for nothing. <laughs> No, for eternal rewards, not for God. Yeah. <laughs> no, you, you, we, those of us who are in this room, we're not, we're not like not of this world. We're all of this world. We're steeped in the philosophies, the ideologies, and the ideas of this world. And, uh, the, 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 and, and, and that, that's part of growing in the Lord. As we grow in Christ, we become a little less worldly, and we become more kingdom-minded. We become a little more... We become a little more uh, uh, engage with what is really true and get rid of some of the falsehoods and the bad ideas. But those of you who are leaders, you are constantly being drained of energy by trying to organize and reach people who are steeped in this world. And then those of you who've never experienced God, but you, you're feeling drawn to Him. And I really have a heart for you today because I really feel like as I, as I prayed over this message last week, I felt like that, you know, I want to reach those people in my congregation, you've never had a really encounter with God. You've never really, really fully felt the Holy Spirit, but, but you, you, you sense it's there. It's kind of like, I, I love C.S. Lewis talks about this. C.S. Lewis talks about, uh, in, uh, in the, in, in, he talks about it in, in several places. He talks about it in The Weight of Glory, and he also talks about it in Mere Christianity. He talks about how the, the hunger and desire for something indicates its reality. In other words, a, a baby gets hungry, which indicates there's such a thing as food. Uh, ducks desire water, indicating there is such a thing as water. You take a bunch of ducks that have never been in the water, they're going to go around looking for water, though they've never seen water before. And he talks about all the appetites. Take all the appetites, all the appetites that spring up within you. Sexual desire indicates there's such a thing, right? Well, I'm going to tell you something, and some of you are here, and the reason you're here is because you have a desire for God. You want something that you've never seen before, maybe fully, maybe you've, you've tasted a little bit, but you have a desire. I'm going to tell you that desire is one of the indicators that it's real. You want the presence of God and nothing is gonna, nothing's going to really satisfy you until you come into the presence of God. I, I, you say, is that what you believe? No, no. It's, what, it, it's how it is. It's just how it is. That's why, uh, that's why if you look at ideologies that are not of God, they always have a religious substrate. They always have a religious foundation to them. 
They, they always have, a, and, I, and I want to go off, that's a rabbit trail, I won't go down, how the, the ideologies that others say, no, we're just, uh, we're just totally scientific. Now, if you, if you really get into it, they, 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 a, they're, they're reaching for the eternal. They're reaching for the transcendent. They're reaching for what? They're reaching that for that which can't be known <laughs> without revelation. Number two, eliminate uh, invented distractions. Eliminate invented distractions. Now, many of you have been around the church for a while. You know about the story of Mary Martha. And well, poor Martha gets picked on a lot. Uh, because she's the one when Jesus went to Mary and Martha's house and Martha was up serving and uh, Mary sat at Jesus' feet and Martha gets mad at her sister, uh, Mary, for not helping with all these people that are coming and she would rather sit at Jesus' feet. And I know many people have used that as an excuse <laughs> not to help uh, clean up the church or other things. <laughs> I'm just seeking God, Pastor. Uh, everything you read in the Bible is not a formula, you know, for how you should be in every situation. So if if somebody out there says, help us clean up today, don't say, no, I'm going to sit at Jesus' feet. Just help them clean up. But it points to something. Listen to what Jesus said. The Master said, Martha, dear Martha, you're fussing far too much. And getting yourself worked up over nothing. One thing only is essential, and Mary has chosen it. It's the main course and won't be taken from her. I, I think in this day and age, when, you know, we have learned how to have church. church having church has become a science. We know how long the service can last. If it lasts longer than that, people will not come back. I heard a preacher a while back, he said this, and I'll, I'll look over where younger people are sitting, because here's what he said. He said, if you preach 25 minutes, you'll have a church of 25-year-olds. If you preach 30 minutes, you'll have a church of 30-year-olds. If you preach 35 minutes, you'll have a church of 35-year-olds. If you preach 40 minutes, you'll have a church of 40-year-olds. If you preach 50 minutes, you'll have a church of 50-year-olds. Well, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm sitting there, who said what, what research possibly, possibly figured this out? That people go chronologically according to their age, and that's how long they can listen to a sermon. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I went to hear a Jordan Peterson lecture a while back, and the place was packed with 25-year-olds, and he, he talked for two hours. So, I don't know. I understand. There's no, there's no virtue, no value in going on and on. But all of these ideas that we've come up with about what, what constitutes the science of church has caused us to invent anxiety. It's caused us to invent things that keep us out of the presence of God. It causes us to invent things that keep us from having a move of the Holy Spirit. We can't have a move of the Holy Spirit because we might go over time. We might blow past this, the time that we've set to finish the service. The service has to be done in an hour. How could we have a move of the Holy Spirit? We've got to be done in an hour. That's the law, the new law of the land. Why? Who invented that? We invent 
things to be tense about. We invent things to keep us from relaxing. We invent things to make us worry. We invent things to try to control. Because, you know, we, we, we create crises so we can be the one to solve the crisis. <laughs> and so we feel more powerful because we were able to identify three things that happened in this service that some people were unhappy about. Of course, there are real emergencies and actual discomfort that needs to be addressed. I'm not suggesting we don't do that. There are many situations where it's impossible to ignore human need. And it's a goodly thing. Order is a good thing. We need to minimize confusion. I don't claim that we always are able to clearly decipher the difference between invented distractions and real concerns. But if you're in a pattern of being overwhelmed with the glory and majesty of Jesus you will find yourself forgetting a lot of things that you were worried about before. If you find the ability to be overwhelmed with the power of glory, and if you start coming to church in order to have a breakthrough into the presence of God, instead of coming to church to, 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 to solve all the problems that, that, that the church has, if you start coming to church and your main reason for coming to church is you want to press in to the glory of God and you want to press into the promise of God, you want to press into the presence of God, what would happen in this place if we all came into this place on a Sunday morning and our major reason for being here was to press into the presence of God? What would happen? What would happen if that was our main reason for being here? Was to press into the promise of God. If we were like the woman with the issue of blood who said, I must touch the hem of his garment. I must touch Jesus. I must go to that meeting so I can touch Jesus and have Jesus touch me. What if that became what motivated us? What if that became our obsession? Was we came together for the sole purpose like the people in the book of Acts. In Acts, you know, the book, people in the book of Acts, they stayed in the upper room for 10 days. They didn't have a time limit. And I'm not suggesting we shouldn't have a time limit. Not suggesting that. But there's some, principle to be, there's some principle to be learned from the fact that they did not go there with a time limit, but they went there with a, with a, with a goal of pressing into the presence of God and being there until the Holy Spirit fell. Amen. I'm telling you, God is not always going to operate on these schedules that we create. How about if we just open up to the idea that he might plan this, he might set the schedule once in a while. I know you can say, but the pastor, you thought of this, you thought of that. The kids in the nursery, there's kids up there. I would say what Jesus said to Martha, you're worried about many things. You're worried about many things. So I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm looking at the clock up there. Um, I'm going to leave two talking points and save them for later. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward right now. And I'm going to invite our prayer partners to come forward. I want to know, if you're here today, and you say, Pastor Phil, I want, I want to have an encounter with God. I want to feel the presence of Jesus. I want... I want the weight of this world to be lifted off of me. Maybe you're one of those doom scrollers that I talked about earlier. Someone who has taken a deep dive in understanding what's wrong with the world. 
I'm not saying you're wrong for doing that in any way. But it's left you without joy. And it's left you without peace. And maybe you're that person who's just... You, you showed up at Bethany Community Church wanting to experience something that the world could not give you. And I'm going to ask you to th- consider coming forward this morning and be prayed for and let this prayer partner team pray that you will receive a, an immersion in the Holy Spirit and you will actually have an encounter with the presence of God. Now, in a minute, when I release you to come, we're not, we're not interested in embarrassing you or everybody, everybody doesn't need to know why you come down here. Uh, that's not important at all. In fact, I would rather they not. So some of you are going to come down because you, ha- you have a doctor's appointment on Wednesday that you're nervous about. Some of you are coming down because you're, you're seeing reports of layoffs at your job and you're worried. And uh, somebody's going to come because uh, you are uh, in a crisis in a relationship in your marriage, say, for instance, and you won't pray about that. Um, somebody here... Somebody here is praying that God will give them a baby. And you want to pray that God will help you with that infertility. I believe God is here. Listen, did you read our text? He rejoices over you with joy. He really likes you. He really does. God really likes you. He really enjoys you. I grew up in a church. Well, I had a lot of good things about the church. And, and believe me, they didn't look at the clock. <laughs> of my church I grew up in. But uh, I, di- I did grow up with a pretty uh, angry God idea that God had a magnifying glass in one hand, probably the left hand, and a club in the right hand because he was pretty, he's right-handed like me. And so the magnifying glass, and, and there was a line that God was supposed to walk on. And he had a magnifying glass to super uh, focus on whether I stayed on the line. And if I got on the line, he smashed me with a club. And so... <laughs> I, I, I learned much later that God doesn't, that's not God at all. I, that's not God at all. But God is looking down. And the, here's what the Bible says. Listen to this. This is a great little verse. This, this is probably my favorite verse in the Bible. I can never remember its exact address, but it says in the King James Version, the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth that he might show himself strong in behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. That's your God. I'm going to pray. And I want you to run. Come on down here. Don't be embarrassed. This is family. We're, we're all together. Uh, okay. Father, Lord, some, some of us in this room really need to get out of ourselves. And we need to experience the presence of God again. Some have never experienced the presence of God. Some need a some need a break from worries and fears and anxieties and stress. Some need a break from the fear of the world around us and what it's becoming. God, you said, he that dwells in the secret place of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Bring these people into the secret place of the Most High right now, Father, and give us a, an immersion, a refilling of the Holy Spirit. I pray for those who have needs physical, emotional, financial. I pray you'll meet and touch them today as well as they come forward for prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.